Join us this week for a conversation with Joe Blecka, Global Director of Product Development at Stance Socks. For me, it's really about seeing that whole feedback loop um, where there's like consumer need, like this really bothers me or, you know, this could be better or man, I hate it when this happens, you know, and that's kind of where you get that insight. And then you, you kind of come up with different ideations or different ways that you might be able to problem solve or make something better. Welcome to Mobile First. You'll find bonus tools, expanded information, and key takeaways from this episode on our website, EmergeMobileFirst.com. For a quick and effective way to level up your mobile strategy, again, that's EmergeMobileFirst.com. In this episode, we tap into Joe's 16 years of experience in the outdoor market. Through our conversation, it's clear that he always looked to dive in and learn from experience and experimentation. We'll take a closer look at the approach Joe takes to make a product better and the Stance Idea Innovation Hopper, how it's structured, how it works, and how mobile is integrated in this process. To introduce our guest today, Joe Blecka is the Global Director of Product Development at Stance Socks whose cause is to make a product as imaginative, expressive, and uncommonly cool as the people who wear it. Joe comes from over 16 years in the outerwear market, holding many senior positions in the companies like Nike, DC, and Burton, and he's worked on projects for the Olympics US snowboard team, and many clothing collections like the Sean White Collection, Nike SB, and Jordan, just to name a few. Joe's known by his peers to be a rock star. Hey Joe, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. How about you tell us a little bit more about yourself? To start high level, yeah, I'm just, I live down in Southern California uh, with my wife and we both enjoy, you know, surfing, getting outside, snowboarding, being really active. Uh, my wife's a yoga teacher, so I also do a lot of yoga and, and kind of meditation. So um, that's kind of me out of work. And then, you know, at work, I, I work at Stance uh, in San Clemente. It's a kind of a young startup company that's been growing really fast, uh, focusing on socks. Yeah, it's where I've been here for the last couple of years, and it's uh, that's kind of my day-to-day, and that's what keeps me busy. Yeah, so it sounds like the lifestyle fits your professional pursuits pretty pretty aligned there. And so I'm definitely curious, you know, what launched you into just this active outerwear line? And, and you know, what was your upbringing like? What, you know, what sort of sports and things were you at at a young age that, that geared you towards something like this? I'm originally from Colorado. You know, I was always in sports, but I was never... By any means, uh, a standout athlete, and there was always Christmas vacation and spring break, and that's when we'd go to the mountains. And you know, I learned how to snowboard at a young age, and I uh, really fell in love with that. And you know, in the summers, I'd go wakeboarding, and I don't know for whatever reason, the individual kind of sports always seemed to resonate more with me, and I kind of followed that passion. You know, after I spent a little time in college, I moved to Breckenridge and became a snowboard instructor up there. Started working retail, and at that point, I kind of realized this is kind of something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I just knew that kind of product, that kind of lifestyle, that kind of industry was just really appealing to me. And there's a lot of in-between steps, but I ended up getting a, you know, an opportunity at Burton Snowboards, uh, working in their retail, just their flagship retail store. That gave me kind of the visibility to what, how, how companies work, operate, create products, and, you know, for me, I was super passionate about snowboarding and I still am, but I was the consumer and, you know, 
you know, an employee too. So I started there and just, I was, wasn't in the retail or the, the product department. Every day someone would come by that worked there and I'd be like, hey, I want to work there. I want to work there. You got any opportunities? And I honestly, they probably got sick of coming to the store just because every time I'd ask them if I'd get a job, you know, I interviewed for every position that came open and I ended up getting an opportunity with being an assistant product manager for uh, men's outerwear. And, you know, that was kind of right when Sean White was coming up and they were like, all right, we'll, we'll give you, let you do the boys outerwear because, you know, there's not much that you can do wrong there, you know, because it's, it's not as much focus on the business. And they're like, and there's a couple styles that we told Sean he could do. So, you know, work with him and figure something out, you know. And, and that was just really cool because it was a, a great opportunity to work with someone at the kind of the pinnacle of their career and kind of build products specifically for that person. And I think that's kind of when everything started. And that's kind of how I got into the whole kind of industry. That's really cool. So you were at the beginnings with Sean or you came in kind of when he was right at that, the peak of Sean White? He'd already had like, I think a snowboard and some, maybe like a helmet or something. But uh, they introduced the white collection. So it was his first time doing outerwear. And it was kind of like some of the first like pro model outerwear that, that they'd tried. And so, yeah, it was the beginning of that collection. And it, I mean, it took off right away. It was, it was a, it was a pretty cool thing to, to be a part of. And it was just me and him and his brother, Jesse White. We all worked really closely together. There was times I would fly in to see, you know, because he had a pretty busy schedule. So I, I remember one time I was, it was actually during the Olympics, I flew in and got to meet with him. And, you know, we finalized some drawings and, and details. And yeah, it was a really cool uh, process for sure. Yeah, I can definitely see how the passion of the lifestyle can lead you to the product being a user. You know, I grew up in a small town as well. Hood River, Oregon, and we are a total board sport community from windsurfing, kiteboarding to the to Mount Hood Meadows. And so I can totally see how that passion can drive you there. With that and getting into product development, how did that passion evolve? And, and what are the things that you're passionate about that get you out of bed in the morning, you know, specific to product development? And how does that, that drive you to, you know, make you really successful at what you do? Well, I think, you know, it kind of transitioned because when I was at snowboarding, it was when I was at Burton, you know, it was, I was really kind of creating a product for myself because I was the kind of a consumer, you know, it was a good filter to put through. Um, and then as you kind of transition into, you know, other categories and products and, and brands, you know, I think for me, it's really about seeing that whole feedback loop of where there's like a consumer need, like this really bothers me or, you know, this could be better or man, I hate it when this happens, you know? And that's kind of where you get that insight. And then you, you kind of come up with different ideations or different ways that you might be able to problem solve or make something better. You know, then from there, you kind of, you know, look at what's possible and, you know, try a couple ideas out. And then you finally create a product you feel real proud of. And it's maybe the product is finished, but the journey of that product isn't done yet. You know, I mean, it's really goes back to the consumer and, and they're the ones that validate it, right? They either accept it and, and love it or... Sometimes it doesn't work and, and you got to take that feedback and continue to refine it. So for me, uh, that's the part I really enjoy is, is just, you know, it's a constant evolution of, um, you know, trial and error and kind of incremental uh, improvements on, on everything you're, you're working on. Yeah, and I love how you phrase it to the journey of, the, of that consumer and really the journey of the product development. With that, do you have a specific approach to that? Do you actually map out 
that journey and, and associate, you know, these pain points or, or what does that, is there a formalized process around it or what does that look like? You know, there's, there's definitely stages and, you know, every place you kind of work kind of terms it differently, but you know, the, the first part is really just understanding the consumer, right? What is their, their day-to-day life? What is their year round life? You know, and specifically with products and, you know, like, like, you know, you're familiar with snow. It's like, it's not an everyday thing. It's a seasonal thing, right? So, right. you know, maybe you buy products at the beginning of the season. And then, you know, Christmas, how does that affect your buying? You know, end of season, you know, it gets warmer and, and, and sunnier. So how, what kind of gear do you need for that? And how do you, you know, orchestrate that? So it's really understanding the consumer, not just on a, what's his name? You know, how much money does he have? What, you know, age, that things. It's, it's what's their lifestyle like, you know, and then... You know, it's really about kind of identifying and kind of defining what your goal is when you're you're developing a product, okay? Are we trying to make something that is lighter than anything in the world? Is it going to be more durable? Are we trying to make something that, you know, is just visually pleasing? You know, what problems are we trying to solve? So it's, you know, consumer, then it becomes, you know, defining the product. It's, It's kind of a scientific process, right? Then you create a hypothesis around that, you know. If I do this, then this might be the solution, right? And you come up with your top two or three, you know, kind of hypotheses, and then you can actually ideate around that. So that could be a lot of just drawing, sketching, uh, researching, seeing what technologies might, might be out there. Then from there, it's really into creating prototypes. There might be two or three versions that you want to look at that test different variables. From there, you know, it's testing, right? And some of it's like a, a perception test, like, ah, oh, this feels better, or this works better. And some of it can be lab tests. You know, you could say, this is 10 times more durable than this, or, you know, what is that? And then from there, you know, you, you can kind of, after you test it, you really validate that concept. And then from there, you kind of have your, your, your core components, and then that's just applying it into the product. And, and usually that's when you start to partner a lot more with you know, the designers that are going to give a little more of the veneer and the uh, kind of marry the form and the function together. So that's kind of the process that, that I've been using. And I think, you know, it, it tends to really kind of build in, you know, and there's always, you know, another thing is too, just with testing is just, just checking in and having conversations, you know, getting the product in front of people and saying, what do you think? You know, because they can take a survey and rate it one to 10, but a lot of times they might say, yeah, I like it, but they kind of have this weird, like, I, yeah, I like it. And you're like, okay, well, why tell me more about that? You know? Yeah. And, and there's definitely talking the talk, but then walking the walk. And sometimes they, the consumer doesn't know what they want, but, but how they interact with it, the insights you get from their behavior are just monumental, that feedback. Totally. Yeah. yeah it makes a lot of sense. You've gone through a, a lot of different positions and it looks like even, you know, part of, Leca boards, you even had something of your own. And so I'm curious, you know, how and why you made the transition to where you're at now with Stan Socks and, you know, because you went from uh, working with Burton and Sean White directly to, you know, senior position at Nike and working with, you know, Nike SB and Jordan and going from there, you know, down to a startup. And so what was, what was the driver there and, and why did you make that transition and what are you excited about for this transition? One of the biggest reasons was really just, you know, I think I've learned in, in, those, in that journey is just, you know, 
on a day-to-day where you're working, like you're going to be busy, right? You're always going to be busy. You're going to be slammed. You're going to have emails. You're going to have work. But really what that environment of that work is really important to me anyways. And I think that, you know, really working with people that are like-minded, people that, you know, you know their first names and not just their positions is, is kind of what helped me make the decision to come to Stance. You know, the, the company, I think, is, I like the, the size of it. Fits, fits me well. You know, I like the culture and the values that are, that are inherent in the, in the company. The other thing that was really interesting too is uh, just the opportunity to be real hands-on with product and, and with innovation and all the technologies that we have. You know, I find that in a smaller environment, you, you have a little bit wider reach in, in what you can do. You know, I mean, you know, Nike is an amazing company and it's, I mean, I, there's, I have nothing bad to say about that place, but I think just for where I was at in my personal you know, journey, I think coming to Stance was the right step for me because it kind of got me back to my, more of my, my, my roots and, um, you know, open up some opportunities for, for new growth personally. I think that's a great segue into your current position as Global Director of Product Development. So with this position, you know, what, what is that wide reach that you have? What are those key things that you're focusing on that allow you to make the impact that you're looking for? In this position, you know, I'm, I'm always, we're always looking for, you know, new technologies, right? You know, that can really impact the business. And, you know, the thing is, is I think a lot of people think when there's new technologies, it's like this bright new shining star that just shows up and you're like, that's it, you know? And it's really, to be honest, it's, it's really not that as much as it is those small incremental differences, right? That slowly add up to make a, make an entire, you know, and I mean, I remember when I was first considering socks, I was like, what socks? Like, what can you do with socks? You know, I mean, it's, but then you, you know, you start to get down to the machinery, right. And it's a specific machine that's made to only make socks, right. It's not like a sewing machine where you can make tons of different products. Like these machines are made only to make, you know, hosiery or socks, you know, the yarns, like you get down to the yarn level and it's all the treatments and the size and then, you know, different chemical compositions, you know? So for me, it's really, you know, it's, it's all those incremental new technologies that you, that you're always looking out for that can, you know, you can put in kind of your, your arsenal and, and figure out how they all can incrementally add up to be a, a, a really cool new thing, you know, end up being a great new product. And then I think the other part, so it's, it's one is the technology and then the other one is just new process, you know, and, you know, with, the consumer landscape kind of changing with, you know, so much online and, and whatnot, you know, that the consumer's changing as fast as the technology is, you know, and being able to uh, make sure that you have a supply chain that isn't old and stagnant, um, but can, you know, respond to the quick kind of change in attitudes and evolutions of the, of the needs. You know, that's the other thing is, is finding processes that will allow us to be quicker, faster, you know, better quality products. Yeah, and that's interesting how you're making those connections, and really, it's the interdependency of the technology and process, and how that you know it folds into that supply chain. And you know, I'm curious, what technologies are you seeing making the biggest change to that that process? You know, what are the technologies that's enabling this process change, and that you're seeing having the biggest impact on that supply chain? Anything that's going to allow the process to be smoother and, and eliminate redundancies. Even just as simple as like using Skype, to, to be honest, being able to like literally pick up 
and, and get FaceTime with, you know, someone in, at our factory that, or, you know, our development office that I can work with to problem solve immediately. So, I mean, you know, that's one of the things I think, you know, we have a lot of information that we manage, whether it be a bill of materials, um, a design sheet, as well as like managing internal inventory, right. And pricing and costing and cost customs and all that. And it's, if all those systems are disjointed and aren't talking to each other, you're manually managing multiple different bodies of information. And really what I found has been the most helpful is anytime you can seamlessly integrate multiple points of information that all add up to one product, you know, that's really going to make the biggest impact and allow you to go, you know, make the best product with the least amount of errors in the quickest amount of time possible. So you're seeing the technology advancements, it's allowing you to connect more of these more siloed, I guess, data gathering tools and, and really that aggregation of this data is the thing that you're seeing being that kind of the biggest thing in the supply chain. Did I get that right? Yeah, I think in, in our process, for sure. You know, I think okay. within your supply chain, you know, there's also just some of it's just creative thinking and just how do we get from point A to, Z, point a to point Z the quickest, you know? And part of that is just just building out plans and and really operationalizing around it and kind of setting if A, then B, then C, then D happens, go from, you know, down the line, you have to have one thing complete, then the next thing complete, right? And so cutting out that time and trying to say, hey, can we combine A and B together? And just so as soon as we're ready to go for point C, we just turn it on and we're ready to go. So stocking materials and and having vendors prepped for execution is is really what's able, you know, because that sort of supply chain allow you to re- react quicker to the consumer needs, therefore giving you, you know, uh, more of an advantage to capitalize on the trends and, and what's happening. So do you think that's deepening the understanding of the process and the current tools in place or more so new technologies are being added to enable that better understanding? Yeah, I think there's new technologies for sure that, that are really I think that's really the secret is, is not, I mean, you obviously have to understand all, all the components, but there's the manual way of doing it. of just saying, okay, everybody get ready to go, you know, but then there's also, I think really, and we're just starting to see it. I think, it's, I still think there's a long ways to go, to be honest, in, in that specific area. But when we can get, you know, fully systems that are just all aligned and, and working together, I think that's going to be the bigger, bigger jump forward for sure. And so you mentioned earlier, you know, that you like Stance uh, being that it's, it's, a sca- it's scaling, you know, it's a smaller company, but it allows you to have that broader reach. And do you think that these figuring that system out or furthering that process of that supply chain is allowing that scaling to happen? Or what would you attribute the main driver to the scaling of Stance? Yeah, I, I do think that that has really helped, you know, being able to you know, have a team, and, I, and I'm, I'm fortunate too that, you know, our founders are, are very forward thinking and, and they want to look at all aspects of the business. You know, I think that the company being ingrained in not just one part of, for example, we're, we're really, you know, we want to be not just, you know, a, a US based company, we want to be global, right? We want to a being able to apply to not just a casual, but also a lifestyle, you know be authentic in, you know, sport, culture, music, you know, I think that being able to set a brand that can really resonate in all those aspects 
allows for that growth. And then I think the ability for us to grow, you know, the supply chain and, and be able to produce and kind of, you know, I think the brand reach increases, but then you also need to be able to continually be able to supply that with uh, more of your supply chain. So I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does. And actually it prompted a couple ideas, you know, so the, the forward thinking mentality, you know, typically there's, different things that are that are focused on obviously it's it's the omni-channel approach and you have to consider the entire supply chain and all the different endpoints but figuring out what that one focus is what is prioritized over the other things uh, i think is really interesting and so with that forward thinking mentality do you think it's more of an emphasis on you know the consumer touch point the consumer experience and, and having that be that starting point or is it modernizing the supply chain and working from the inward out or is it focusing on, you know, those digital products and systems that are enabling the consumer experience and that are enabling the modernizing of the supply chain? So kind of like of those three, what do you think would, would be more of that focus? That's a really tough one, honestly. I really believe they're all just so interrelated. Right. Um, you know, I think without the consumers and not without knowing them, you're just, you're nowhere, right? So I think, I think they're all... Very related. Yeah. I don't know that I can prioritize one over the other. I do know that just being a company that being adaptable and, and really kind of evolving quickly is, is, is something that's, that's super important. And being able to provide that experience is, it's no longer necessarily a goods-based kind of economy, right? People, it's, it's more of an experience base, right? And so there needs to be more context around the product than just the product. And I think that that's something that has allowed Stance to really grow is because it's, you know, Stance is known for the, the bright, flashy, you know, kind of mismatched socks, you know. And I think when people started make, seeing people wear socks that don't match, like, it's like, oh, your socks don't match. It's like, well, that's on purpose. Then it's like, well, why don't they? And, oh, it's this brand and they're uncommon and, you know, they're, they're the uncommon thread. And you're not just buying a pair of socks. You're kind of like, you're buying an experience, you know, and I think that, you know, feedback that I've got from, you know, consumers, I think, and even just, you know, you always have friends and family that maybe aren't familiar with the brand. You give them a pair of socks and they're like, man, I wore those socks. And I was like the most popular kid at school, you know? And it's like, those are the type of interactions and, and stories that really, I think, fuel the fire for, for growth, to be honest, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's what I wanted to dig into because I'd venture to say that socks you know, are a commodity they can be, but you guys are, you guys are scaling and you've figured it out and your the focus that you guys have is allowing you to do that. And so that's, that's really interesting to me. And I think you're totally right. There's the interdependencies of the components of the strategy, but, you know, as stance goes through the evolution of the business cycle and are making those transitions, you know, those, the focuses at any given time are also very interesting. And it sounds like because, you know, socks are more of a commodity, but you're tailoring a specific experience to the consumer. It seems like that consumer experience probably drives a lot of the innovation that takes place in the business. But it just at what point of the cycle is is that focus? And so that that to me is is interesting. I think we did one kind of a, a study, and it showed that like oh, it was it was some huge huge number, but like eighty to ninety percent of our new customers came through friend uh, friend referrals rather than you know, coming across the website or advertising, it was, you know, it's 80 to 90%. It's just, it's through friend referrals and, or people referrals. Interesting. 
Do you have channels in place that you're able to measure that from and that you're using to drive that? Or is, or is that mainly just the word of mouth? Well, this, this we kind of did an independent study. So we partnered with uh, a university and, and kind of did an independent study to kind of just get some more, you know, understand the consumer, the consumer spending habits and, and kind of our consumer a little bit better. But, you know, on the other side, too, we are very tapped into live kind of feedback on all the channels. You know, it isn't my area of expertise, just to be honest with you, but uh, we, we, we definitely monitor what happens. So, you know, with all the analytics, the KPIs around, you know, likes and follows and tweets and whatever. And, and so that we can, you know, if we drop a new product or we, like, I think it was last year around this time, you know, we announced we had a collaboration with Rihanna, right? So instantly we were able to make that launch and then capture the data, you know, over the, you know, one day, two days, three days and, and, and really see what kind of traffic it's drawing. And then you can kind of compare, you know, what's happening in the, in the virtual digital world, but then also what's happening on the sales side and, and are they related? Are they, is it one for one, you know? And we found, you know, some, some type of collaborations or, or, you know, launches might be one for one where it gets a lot of traffic and we sell a lot of product. And then another might be other ones where we get a ton of press, but maybe we don't get a lot of sales with it. So it's, it's kind of interesting to be able to dissect that and really have visibility to both sides to compare and contrast. That makes sense with, you know, being that the product is so being that stance socks, socks are, are so driven by the customer experience. How does that trickle down effect get to the product development? And, you know, what's your involvement in getting the feedback from the consumer and understanding what that experience is to then relaying that into the product so that it, they're aligned? So we, we kind of always say that there's like, our approach is really a balance of art and science. And, and my, our, our team and my, my group is really more on the science side, you know, so we, we take a lot more, you know, kind of scientific look to this approach. Um, you know, a lot of surveys, you know, we're constantly looking at metrics of what's selling, what's not. And then and I think it's, it's really combining with, you know, our, our art team. And we have what we'd call like a category director who they're kind of really, they really understand the consumer and the trends that are happening there. And it's, it's just marrying, marrying that together and just getting real-time data and just fully understanding what's happening so that you can constantly evolve your product and implement, you know, new and fresh ideas. And then, you know, on top of that, what we do is we have our inline development cycle, but we have this kind of other forum um, where it's kind of like this experimentation phase, right? And it goes both ways. Kind of call it like an idea hopper where anybody from a company can, can submit an idea. So it could be a designer that's like, man, I really want to try this. I don't know. I have no idea how it will execute, but or how to make it execute. I just, it just seems cool to me. Or maybe a salesperson that maybe they just happen to be, you know, like a runner and they're like, oh, like this run, I've got an idea for this. Or it might be us where we say, hey, we got this brand new technology. It might be seemed kind of wacky, but let's try it out. And so that's, we, we found that to be really interesting because it allows us to kind of explore without jeopardizing any inline type process. And then come up with some really great ideas and, and it might be a new tie-dye technique or it might be a new printing process or something. And then, you know, what we'd like to do is we, you know, have focus groups, right? And we bring, you know, consumers in, sit them down and kind of really work 
and see what they respond to. And, and to me, that's kind of how we incorporate, you know, various ideas from art and science into an, uh, you know, a, a new, new idea for a product. So what does that agile process look like to incorporate this insight and feedback? What, you know, what is the time frame for looping that in and, and how might some impromptu flux of ideas in the idea hopper affect, you know, some sort of the development timeline? We're kind of notoriously famous for just going as fast as we can. And, I, you know, you love it and you hate it at the same time. But, you know, there's been times when an idea has come out and we've been like, we've got to make this happen in two months. And then there's been times where we're like, you know, let's really think this through and let's, but we tend to be on the faster side. You know, a, a typical, I guess, product development cycle is, you know, a, with a retail calendar is, you know, you're looking at a year around, you know, and sometimes even longer. You know, we're looking at ways to be able to respond to, to market trends and get to cut that in half and maybe, maybe even a quarter of that if, if possible, you know, so. So do you think that the limiting factor to that is the gathering of the information, organizing it, validating it, and then trickling it down to development? Or do you think it's like that happens instantaneously and then it's more so about actually going through and getting it developed and into the hands of the consumer? I think it's the first part, actually. You know, a lot of times it's, it's kind of like there's the idea and the concept. Um, that phase usually takes, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I'm, I'm, I work in development. <laughs> so I, I'm always like, yeah, the designers, they take so long to make up the money. You know, it, it does. It takes, it takes a long time for, not a long time. It, it usually takes a little bit for us to kind of decide what's the right way to do it because there's always the quickest way to do it. But then I think being authentic and doing things right, you want to think that through a little bit more. You know, there is some physical limitations that we always have when, you know, commercializing a product. Obviously, you have to be able to, a machine can only run so fast, you know. So I would say that the variables within product development are pretty known. And where we experience either going really fast or really slow is, is kind of when we take into account, you know, the decisions that need to make made along the way. If I'm hearing you right, is it that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the development or the ideation and the, the, the gathering more so it's, it's kind of that middle phase of the designers. And once they've gotten all the data from, you know, the idea hopper and they've sifted through that and organized it, that it's now actually coming up with some clear concepts that can be then handed off to product development. Yeah, I think so. You know, and, and, and working through, I guess, you know, there is, there's always challenges where, you know, maybe the concept isn't necessarily doable by what we kind of know or can do easily. So I think that's probably, you know, like it really does go both ways. And that's why we kind of take it out of the, you know, inline process because, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll have to go, you know, it can seem like a super, super simple idea, but we really have to work through the machinery or, you know, source new materials or things like that. So there is the limitations that we definitely have to work around that sometimes do take a little bit of time. And sometimes we just have to go there, get in the field and, and work through it in real time. And, you know, that's, that's a huge part of product development is, is, you know, not just sitting behind a computer and, and sending emails, but, you know, getting your hands dirty and understanding all the variables and, and making it happen, you know. This idea hopper, I think it's a really interesting idea. And I think that um, it really provides that ease of channel to get that customer feedback. And it's something that you guys have maybe structured in a way to where it, it fits that production cycle. 
So could you maybe expand on the idea hopper a little bit and maybe how that's structured and, and how people can access it? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's just an internal kind of communication that happens. Uh, we tend to say, you know, we don't want unlimited ones because ultimately we'll, you end up getting the list that's so long that you can't even focus on one. But, you know, people from each department and kind of our, our categories. So we have our categories that are broken out between lifestyle and casual. We have we are run, you know, basketball. And so we, we pretty much have kind of a designated person for each one of those. And so we kind of have like a monthly cadence, right? And it's, and we allow the ideas in once a month. And then the internal team, we kind of, we've, we have a couple of different, you know, nomenclatures for it, but we, we started out calling it the shred team, sock and hosiery research, engineering and development team. And nice. that's where we kind of are able to gather them, look at them, prioritize them, and then also put them on a, a calendar, you know, commercialization calendar. Because, you know, some may be really easy and we can execute on immediately. And then some, you know, might take a while. And then from there, really, we have, uh, you know, seasonal kickoff meetings or kind of touch bases. And, you know, that's the point where we, you know, there's a, you know, a point for, you know, sales to talk, merchandising, you know, design, and then innovation. And that's really where what went into the innovation hopper would then come out would be at one of those kind of meetings where we say, Hey, got this insight, did some research on it, uh, created some, you know, maybe it's a prototype or, or maybe it's uh, you know, sketches designs and kind of present that back out and say, is this something that we want to move forward with, you know, or do we want to put it back in and continue to refine it? Or, or maybe it just wasn't that great of an idea. So, you know, that's kind of the touch base point with, uh, you know, our inline calendar. You know, when we get thumbs up, then we just, you know, we, we put it in on a calendar and, you know, march towards the, the finish line, that idea. So as Stance is scaling, it sounds like there's, there's these kind of main drivers to that make the process what it is. And it sounds like it's, it's kind of broken up into a couple buckets. And the main buckets that I'm hearing it, are kind of this idea innovation hopper and the process of, of going from the idea all the way through to actually getting into the calendar and, and having those meetings in, in that process. But then there's also, once it's reached that point, there's the supply chain and actually the production of it and getting it into the hands of the consumer. So would you attribute the later scaling and success more to the innovations that are taking place from the ideation to those meetings to the calendar or more so after it's reached the production calendar to the actual fulfillment of it? You know, I, I'm always a believer that I think creating new innovations is really what is going to, you know, drive the brand forward. And, you know, innovations could be uh, as much of an art innovation as they are a, an actual physical product innovation. Um, but I really believe that that's, that's the only way to stay ahead of the curve, you know, because as soon as you set and get settled in doing something and just focus on, let's just make this and make this, make a lot of it, right? You know, there's going to be someone that's going to be out thinking you or out maneuvering you or, or being close to the consumer. So to me, I think it's, it's important to be kind of leading with innovative thought, innovative product, you know, innovative experiences without a doubt. Gotcha. So just to confirm, it sounds like it's, it's that strategy and innovation at the top of the funnel there that's, that's really driving that. And then from there, it's, it's you really focusing on, okay, how can we improve this supply chain to where we can kind of shorten that cycle to make the first part of the funnel easier to get through quicker? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Very cool. 
that's really insightful. And, you know, with this first part of the funnel and gathering this information, you know, how are you seeing now these advancements in mobile and mobile being part of a big part of the purchasing for online now and, and that growing? How are you seeing this touch point, you know, integrate with, with this process? In my journey, you know, I think when I first started, you know, online re- retail was, I mean, minimal at, at best, you know. And then as you start to, you know, move over the past, really five, you know, probably the past last five years, I mean, up to 10 years too, but the online purchasing is, it's not only, there's, there's two things, you know, one, it's quicker and easier for the consumer, but, but two, it's, there is no, there's no middleman between the brand and the consumer. And, you know, I mean, obviously retailers are vital to like the health of, a, of an industry and a business, but, you know, they're, they're taking risk, right? So they're going to take the least amount of risk, which sometimes is that black and that white sock, right? Or uh, whatever it might be. And, and so if you have something that's very trend right, I've seen it many times in, in, by making products, that you make something that is so perfect for exactly what the consumer wants and they're asking for it. Maybe the retailer isn't ready for it yet, or maybe they, they're, they're not currently bought in or they've been so focused on their, you know, managing their store that they don't really know what's going on and, you know, they won't buy into it, right? So by being able to connect directly with the consumer, you know, you're getting that real-time feedback and it'll, it allows you to, you know, close that full loop of product development and make it a lot tighter and quicker, you know? So, you know, we're able to like, let's, let's say, for example, we came up with a new three new concepts of a, a sock, whatever they might be. You know, we could say, hey, before rolling this out all the way, we want to just make, let's make a hundred pairs. Let's just put them online and let's see, let's see what happens. Right. And, you know, there might be slight variations with each other, but you can use that platform to really understand what's driving the consumer. Similarly, you could, you could have the, you could possibly put the exact same product out and you could market it three different ways. You know, one, you could talk all about the art. Oh, this art comes from this, 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 right? Or you could, the next one, you could say, here's all the technology features that f- make this product great, you know? And then the other one might be, you know, focusing on, you know, another, another variable. And then you can see which of those is going to resonate, resonate. And then you can use that, say, this is how we can connect with our consumer better. So to me, it's, it's where things are at right now. And it's, it's definitely... It should be the focus of pretty much any brand, you know, that's looking to really bring new products to the to their consumer quickly. I think that's a great segue into what you think is going to be the future of product development and how you know potentially how mobile plays into it, and really you know what you what you see being what that next step is and where Stance is is going to make that leap. I mean, there's obviously some things that I I can't necessarily talk about, but at the same time, like you know, I think you look at like. The idea of customization, right? And, and people really wanting to be able to do custom products. You know, I think that, you know, that's an insight that isn't going to go away. You know, I mean, people are always going to want a good performing product, but like when you can really fine tune it into what you want, you know, I think that's a really strong insight. And then I think, you know, as far as like creating a product, you know, being able to you know, you look at some of the, like, you know, knitting technology uh, allows you to really have a lot, not I won't say zero waste, but a very minimal amount of waste because, you know, every product is created from its raw materials without excess, right? So to me, you know, I don't, I, not exactly um, given the, you know, exact recipe, but I think, you know, a combination of that 
kind of custom interaction with the consumer and then being able to create that product seamlessly for that consumer is really where I see things in the future going, right? Well, I mean, you referenced it a little bit ago, just how mobile provides that direct, that direct communication. And so as, as you're seeing, you know, retail kind of catching up to this mobile trend, it's, it's tightening that gap more so. And then yep. tightening the gap of the supply chain and then figuring out how to kind of meet in the middle with, with this direct communication and feedback. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yeah, that ties up the, the core questions here. And, and I always like to end here with some rapid fire questions. You ready for the rapid fire question round? Sure. All right. Yeah, just, just quick, quick short answers to these and we can, we can get through these and just really just provide some, some great insight from your perspective on, on some of these, these things that typically add some great value and, and information to the listener. You know, so what would you put more emphasis on, the idea or the execution? And then how do you weigh each and why? Yeah, I, I think that's a tough question. I think the execution is slightly more important than the idea. Only be because anybody can have a great idea. And, you know, I've had tons of them. Everybody, you know, I've had friends, oh, this is a great idea, the best company, right? But what's that going to do, right? So being able to execute on it, I think, is more important than having a great idea. If you're associated a percentage, what would you say? Uh, 60, 40. I don't know. And then what has been your biggest learning lesson on your journey in retail so far? You know, for me, it's really just been, you know, embracing passion. Be passionate about what you're going to do. And that's kind of what led me on my journey and what continues to. I mean, I think if you can't be passionate about what you're doing, like, I don't know. I, I, would, I would hate to, to know what that feels like because that's been a, a driving factor in my life. And then the other one is just embracing adversity. You know, you're always, whether it be one step to the next in your career or just things are going to come up with your jobs where you're going to have adversity, whether it be, I mean, gosh, I've had so many things that have, have, have jumped in front of me, but that adversity is really what makes you stronger. And, um, you know, you got to embrace it. Very cool. And then do you have a favorite or most influential business marketing or, or digital book that you've picked up that you think would be valuable? There's a couple I've been reading recently. Uh, you know, I read the, the, it was autobiography on Elon Musk and then Shoe Dog, the, the Nike uh, Phil Knight story. Those are just, I just love reading those and just getting the insights to see how those guys kind of just came up and, and were able to build some amazing kind of companies. So I, those are really cool. And then there's one book that's uh, called Crucial Conversations. And that, as far as like interpersonal and working with people and understanding, as, that's a really impactful book. I definitely recommend checking that out. Great. Yeah. I'll link, I'll definitely link to that in the show notes so that we can check that out. And then how about a favorite digital resource? You know, to be honest, I think like Ted talks are like, I love them, you know? So I I think anytime you can kind of just gain insight from, you know, influential people, I think to me, that's what's real inspiring. And, you know, Ted talks tend to be a a good, easy resource to to access information. Do you have a, a favorite Ted talk? Uh, not one that, no, I, I, I go through them like crazy, you know? <laughs> How about lastly, what's your favorite mobile app and why? This may be a little bit of a surprise, but, um, there's a couple of mobile apps that actually my wife and I use and they're, they're more like meditation and yoga and apps. And the reason I do it is because I'm around the computer and the cell phone all the time. And rather than adding more stress, like I tend to use them to like relax and, and focus. 
So to be honest, that's probably one of the, the mobile apps I use the most is really, there's a couple of them, but basically they're kind of like meditation and, and yoga because they allow you to kind of, you know, decompress and focus. And, and I think with all the benefits that the digital age brings, like for productivity and efficiency and, you know, that part of your brain, it's good to exercise the other side of your brain as well. Is that space one of the apps you use? Uh, yep. And then there's one called Insight Timers and Yoga Glow. It's more of an online. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if they have a, a mobile app, but they have, a, you know, um, a website that we go to. Sweet. Yeah, I'll link to those and check those out. I'm a huge fan of Headspace. I listen to that at least once every night. <laughs> it's, it's a sweet app. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy what that can do for you, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I like how they have like the different areas too. So you can listen to it, you know, on a commute, if you're just hanging out for, for different use cases and scenarios. I think that's really helpful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know, you know, you can't give away the secret sauce, but is there anything cool that you're working on that you want people to know about? You know, we, we just actually launched the MLB uh, detail uh, deal. So we're, we're, we'll be, uh, we're official on, on, on field providers for the socks for the entire uh, MLB. This past year, we were for the NBA, and the next year, we also are out for NBA as well. So, you know, those are always just kind of fun things to check out. So, yeah, I think that's kind of like one of the things we're working on and trying to, with baseball, it's fun because, you know, the, the, the players, a lot of times, now the trend is like longer pants and shorter socks. They're not shorter socks, longer pants, so you can't see the socks. But, you know, we're kind of like, it's a challenge for us to like, see if we can create something that's, you know, cool enough and uh, visually stunning enough that the teams are going to want to like start to show that off a little bit more and kind of influence that trend in baseball back, back towards shorter pants. Yeah, I was, I played baseball growing up and a little bit in college too. And I was a huge fan of the old school look. So I always wore my pants high and showed off my socks. So yeah, we need more of that. (laughs) All right. So um, yeah. So, you know, if our audience want to get, a hold of you, Joe, what would be the best way to reach you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, I think just send me a message through there, you know, or, uh, yeah, contact stance and, and send an email through or my personal email. Um, they can hit me up on. All right. So check out stance and Joe Blecha. That's with a C H B L E C H A. Joe, thanks so much for spending some time with me today. It was uh, great to have you on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time as well. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you wearing some, some stance socks here shortly. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join us next for a conversation with Daniel Hall, EVP of Experience at Vinley, the connected car company. We're going to dig into how Daniel started down his path why it's taking so long for our cars to catch up to the smart tech, Internet of Things movement that's taking place with a closer look at the new world of mobile first, one where time is the currency and mobile first is about convenience and being on the go, not reliant even on a smartphone. So check us out next with a conversation with Daniel Hall. And I'm always happy to be a resource in any way that I can. So visit EmergeMobileFirst.com to reach out to me directly or for additional insights, resources, and bonus tools that can help catapult your organization to the next level. Until next time, think mobile first.